things, so, um, and I was crazy enough to raise my hand. Bob, is this up here for a reason? You guys, I don't know that the Sierra Leone, this is the Bibles that we're doing, and they have, how many, 3,000? 3,000 are boxed, and uh, we have another 2,000 to go to finish, so just think about that work, uh, what's going on, what can be done, what you could participate a part of it if you want to. There's been many people from uh, other churches that have come on different days of the week and, and helped, and uh, that's been kind of encouraging to me to see that happening. Um, I asked Brian if I could do this message and, and something that God kind of convicted me about uh, probably been a year ago, if not more, um, just reading through the Bible. But I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 24, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there. I'm not really good with the PowerPoint or anything, so you maybe have to look through your Bible and, and look up some verses. Uh, what? No, isn't that, that's odd. I'm old school. Uh, that's the way I was, I always had to look up the verses and try to get there before the pastor read through it so that I could, could know what it is. So I'm, I'm going to kind of cover this whole chapter. There's 67 verses in uh, Genesis 24. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to read basically verses 1 through uh, 9 to kind of get started. And then I'm going to hit different verses throughout the passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but I wanted to share with you a little bit of what God kind of laid on my heart. Um, a lot of things have happened in my family over the last year. And, and uh, it just, I don't know, made it more real, I guess, what, what is here. So if you would, turn over to Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1, and I'll just read the first, uh, like I said, nine verses, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. It says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou go, shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Preadventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the, the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware... That thou, thou that thou bring not my son thither again, and the Lord of and then in verse seven is the Lord of, of God of heaven, which took my me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me and that swear unto me, saying unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to, to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of, from this oath, only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under uh, the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear, by, uh, swear to him concerning the, that matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these men and women, this body of believers here, Lord, that, that have come to hear your word. I just pray, Lord, that this would be encouraging to them, the edifying to the body. And Lord, I just pray that, that your Holy Spirit would guide me and, and guide us as to what we need to be, what needs to be said and, and what needs to be done, Lord. I just thank you again for Brian, for the, the, the pastors and the men and women of this church that, that lead us. And, and Lord, I just 
thank you for every one of them. I ask that you uh, watch over them, uh, heal us, and, and keep us safe, Lord. And, and just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that when I read the Bible, I was taught a lot of things, but when I, when I came across this, I've read this probably, a, I don't know how many times in my lifetime since I've been saved, quite a few times, I would say. Uh, I had never done this before in this particular chapter. I kind of did some investigating. I like, I'm, a, I'm a truck driver. That's what I did for a living for 25 years. And I always like to see what it is to get from point A to point B so I can know how far. And I thought it was interesting. He tells him to go from where he's at, which is over by Jerusalem at some, at, in that area, and go back to the land of Ur. And if you look on a map, I got a map in the back of my Bible, and I got out and measured it, you know, to see how far it is. My measurement came out about 650 miles. When I got on Google, it said 800 from uh, uh, Bethel to Ur or Babylon. Uh, and, that, and then from Jerusalem to Babylon, it was 1,200 miles. So I didn't have a real, there wasn't a real consistent number. I don't know which one's right. But it, let's say it was six, 700 miles to travel. You know, it'd be a lot the distance from here to going to Denver, Colorado. Do you, you know how long that would take to walk or ride a camel? I mean, a camel goes about 30, 30 miles a day, roughly. That's what, the, what I looked up. Then go 25, 30 miles. We can, I can walk. I used to be in Boy Scouts. We hiked 20, 25 miles, you know, on hikes. And as a you know, young 15-year-old, 16-year-old, we almost ran the whole thing instead of walking it, but we'd get it done pretty quick. But, you know, think about the trip that they had to make to go from, from uh, over by Jerusalem over to the land of Ur to, to pick up to find a woman for his, his son, for a bride. I mean, it takes 30 days, 40 days. And sometimes, I, I, for me, I have to step back and I want to look at the little details in the Bible that, that the Bible doesn't really give us. And the Lord kind of left that blank for us to figure out. I think it's for us to investigate and what if we want to find out. I mean, I can't imagine walking for 30 days. To, and if we were to walk, everybody was to get together right now and we were to head to Denver, Colorado from here. Yeah. It's going to take us 30, 40 days to walk. Now, where they're at, it's desert. They've got to find water, and they've got to find food and, and provision to go across. Uh, he took 10 camels with him and was able to, to carry probably everything that they needed. Uh, but a camel has to get water. Uh, they can drink 30, 40 gallons of water at a time. Uh, they can go for, uh, I think if I remember right, about seven months without water. So the camel would be fine. It's you and I would probably dry up before we got across the desert, especially over there in, in that part of the country or the world. It's kind of desolate. So the servant goes. He makes the journey. And I, I would think it takes him about 40 days to make it that far, somewhere in that neighborhood, by my calculations. Uh, he's not going to run every day 25 miles a day. He's going to walk or ride the camel. So, and then... Going on further into it, when you get down here a little further in, in a chapter 24, I'm just going to jump some of these verses. But um, in verse 12, he makes a specific prayer. And he says, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. So he prays that God would or bring the woman that he needs to have to take back to, to Abraham or to Isaac to be his wife. Uh, and one thing that's kind of funny, Isaac's about 40 years old here in, in this, at this point. 
So uh, Hollywood doesn't have nothing on the Bible when they, you see a movie, the 40 year, uh, uh, what, the virgin of 40 years, whatever that movie was, I can't remember. 40 year old virgin, uh, Isaac, the Bible has it already for us and, I, and the Hollywood doesn't have anything on that. So, so he makes a specific prayer and then in verses 15 through 28, uh, God answers that prayer. He brings this woman to the well uh, in uh, verse 15. He says, and it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. So this virgin, uh, next verse says that she's a virgin. It says, and the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, uh, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. So the servant, in verse 17, he says, and the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, uh, drink a little water of thy pitcher. So God's answering his prayer. I mean, it's just real quick, too, that God answers that and takes care of that. And then uh, verses 29 to 31, he tells her, uh, or uh, she tells her family of what happened at the well. Now, I don't know how old, I don't exactly know how old she was. I don't know if it's in the Bible or not. I couldn't find it uh, 100%. But all these women came down to the well to retrieve water and take back to their families. And... uh, she tells of the proposal that was given to her by this man, that strange guy uh, that she met at the well, and uh, was interesting that, that uh, what happened. In verse 29, it says, And Rebekah had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man, unto the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelet upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man, unto me that he came uh, came unto the man and behold he stood or he stood by the camels at the well so Laban goes down and confronts this guy that was sent by Abraham to, to, to bring Rebecca back bring back the, the bride basically and so she uh, it's a wedding proposal really when you study this through the rings and the bracelet and you go back and look at some of the history of that uh She's accepting a, a marriage proposal. She hasn't talked to her family. She hasn't said anything to them. And she's accepting that deal that, that this servant is bringing to her. So in verses 32 to 60, uh, the, finally the family agrees. Uh, but they want to delay Rebecca. It's, they want to keep her a few extra days. They don't want her to, to go away. Uh, if you go over to um, verse 55, it says, And her brother... And her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they, they said, we will, call, we will call the damsel, and inquired her mouth. And they called Rebekah. And she and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. So it's really, I mean, when you read this, it's, there's a lot of information that's just not there. But, but it's, she's saying, I will go. I mean, she's just, just like that. What I find next, there's um, in verse 59 and 60. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And, and then verse 60, which I find kind of interesting. 
And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of, the, of those which hate them. I don't know if you know what thousands of millions. If my, my wife had been, her mother would have given her that blessing and say, Hey, I want you to be the mother of thousands of millions. I don't think she would have wanted to get married. It's, it's been a kind of a standing joke with us. I mean, I told her I wanted to have a baseball team as far as kids. And my dad always said that to my mom, but it never happened. Uh, and I, I only ended up with three kids, so it never happened for me either. You know, my dad was the baby of 13, and, and all of my cousins have large families. There are 14, 15 kids in each family, so they, there's, there's large families. But thousands of millions, um, I don't know if any, anybody here a math student, the word of in this little thing, of is always a multiplication symbol or multiplication used for multiplication. So you take thousands of millions times or thousands times a million, you end up with a billion, right? And it says thousands of millions. It doesn't say just a thousand. It's got that little S on the back end. So that could be 999,999 times 999,999,999. So when you do... I mean, that's, that's a possibility. So when you do that, that could be trillions, trillions of, of kids. And I know it's a physical impossibility for any woman to have that many children, at least as far as I know. I don't know too many that can, but that's a lot of, lot of children, a lot of kids. And I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but I, I, I think she's looking at it as a blessing. So if you go on through, the, and in verses 61 to 67, they finally make the journey back. Now, I can imagine Rebecca riding on a camel for 30 days, 40 days, however long it took. She's going to be asking questions about this Isaac that she's never met. I mean, she's going to be riding along, and she'll be wanting to know what he likes, what he thinks, what does he believe, uh, you know, how would he like her to dress, and the different things like that, all the way back. And this poor guy, this, the servant, I think he's Eleazar, I'm not sure, the Bible's not real clear, but some people say it's different, but it could be Eleazar that was the servant of Abraham, and he's riding all the way back, and she's asking questions. I don't know about you guys when you travel, um, you got your wife and kid. <laughs> what's it, James, what, you got your wife and your kids with you, and they're always asking questions, they see things, and, and the kids are always saying, are we there yet, and all this stuff, you know. I don't know what Rebecca, I would imagine she's probably asking all kinds of good questions that she needs to know before she sees this guy. And then finally, down at the very end, uh, and, and, uh, verses 64 and 65, and it says, And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. And she, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master, Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. So at the end of it, they finish out. She gets back and they get married and, and all that's done. So, so why did I go through all that? I, I mean, to me, I like the history. I loved it when uh, Jeff Trude taught the book of Daniel and he tied in history with the book of Daniel. It was just, I don't know, that just intrigues me. I've always kind of liked history. I'm not really a good history studier, but... I'm always intrigued by it. So they make that trip. I mean, every so often they got to stop for lunch, for dinner, 
whatever they need to stop for, they've got to stop and eat. So she's always going to be asking those questions. She's going to want to know. So when she lights off this camel, she knows that's Isaac. This guy's given her a good enough description so that when they get there, she knows who it is. So I don't know about you. Um, when I first got saved and I started learning the Bible, I was taught uh, through discipleship and through learning. There was three ways to look at Scripture. There's a historical, which I've kind of already given you the historical view just to what happened, what could have happened. You know, you could plug in all kinds of things there to understand. Uh, but the other things that, that I was taught was that there's a doctrinal application and there's a, a spiritual application to all Scripture. Look at 2 Timothy. I'm going to have you jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this is part of our discipleship training, but it's, it is in the Bible, and, it, and we use it to study with. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 Everybody got it? Just says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The first thing that it's profitable for. And it says, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the first thing that all scripture is profitable for is doctrine. And when you read the book of Genesis, and God says, hey, it's, it's profitable for doctrine. So when you read 24, Genesis 24, what doctrine comes out of that? And really, it's the beginning of the nation of Israel. And it's a prophetic picture of what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. And it actually ties perfectly in to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. And if you want to turn over there, I'll just read a little bit of that uh, to kind of make you get, get a glimpse of it. And what happens in the Bible, just for us, you know, you look at the doctrinal application in most of the Old Testament dealing with the nation of Israel, coming into the tribulation period, or coming into the, the millennium, one or the other, uh, or the second coming of Christ. And, it, and in Revelation 12, verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and a, upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did, did cast them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to the, his throne. Sorry. So here in the, in the book of Revelation, you have a picture of this woman, Rebecca, bringing forth a man-child in a future, future tense. And that man-child is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And she pictures the nation of Israel and what's going on back there in Genesis. And that, that's pretty basically what the doctrinal part of uh, Genesis 24 is. So uh, the third part is that inspirational part or the, the spiritual part. When it says there in Second uh, Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, the reproof, the correction, and instruction in righteousness is the ins inspirational part, the spiritual side. And so that it's really important, at least for me anyway, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm reading the Bible, um, I like to look at all three. Uh, it helps me to, to rightly divide the word of truth so that I don't make mistakes so that I don't take something out of the Old Testament and apply it to my life that doesn't belong. 
But when I was reading uh, Genesis 24, uh, it gave me a, a di little different view on my life of what I should be doing. And I know I'm, I'm 65 years old and, and I'm getting close to the end of my life as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, when you look at it from a spiritual point of view, you go back to Genesis 24 and Abraham, he becomes a type of God the Father. Spiritually, he is, he is a, he's God the Father. And Isaac, he is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Abraham's, he's Abraham's only son. And the Bible even carries it further. He almost sacrificed Isaac, didn't he, uh, on, the, on the wood, wood pile. And God says, don't do it. I've got a, I've got a, a ram that's going to take his, take his place. And that's all a picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that all fits together. And then uh, Eleazar, or put, or whatever, whatever you want to put his name, he's a type of the Holy Spirit of God. So it's, I find it interesting, uh, uh, you know, he's called a servant, and the servant is sent to find a bride for the son. What's going on right now with us? The servant's looking around trying to find people that want to become a part of the bride of Christ, that want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ's proposal. Like Rebecca accepted the proposal. She said yes. And I, I, for me, um, she kind of, when she's at the well, she also, to me, pictures the, the, uh, the Samaritan woman that's at the well when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he starts talking to her and he tells her all about her. And he, let, he, he says that, hey, you come and drink of this water that you'll never thirst. And it, it, that picture's carried all the way through the Bible in, in that essence. And, and he, he fulfills that. So that Samaritan woman, if you want to go read that, it's in John 4, verses 11 to 14. We don't have to read it today, but uh, it is a part of what, what God's doing as far as those pictures are drawn all the way through. Now, they don't always make it complete, but there's bits and pieces of that picture that's there, like with Abraham and, and the nation of Israel calls him Father Abraham, right? And the Bible, we can call him God, uh, God the Father, basically that way. So there's not really much about Rebecca's life. So go back there to Genesis 24 um, that's left. It doesn't tell us anything about any of her problems, anything wrong with her family, uh, why she said yes so quick or anything like that. But she, Rebecca pictures the church. She really pictures you and I the day that we accepted Jesus Christ. When we received him as our Savior, we said yes. A lot of us had all kinds of problems. A lot of us didn't have problems. And I think that's why it's so beautiful here with Rebecca is that, that she really encompasses all of us at the day we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And we stood at that well and said, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to drink of that water. I want, I want to live forever, uh, however you want to put it. Uh, I know the day I got saved was 41 years ago, basically in January. And I was going through a rough time, and I just I, I needed... I needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was explained to me rather well, and, and uh, I said yes. And I think that's that marriage proposal for all of us. When, you, when I, I've done weddings, and it always just resonates with me that when the, the woman and the, the man say, I do, that's what's going on. It's a picture of, of that, of us saying, I do to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what's happening. So when you go back there, uh, in this passage, Rebecca's family tries to keep her from going. And I don't know about any of you guys, when you got saved, if there was somebody that's saying, oh, you don't need that. You don't need to be a part of that. But they tried to keep her out for 10 days. And I don't know if the word, the 10 days is significant, why the Bible puts that in there. 
but it is a Gentile number. We call it a Gentile number. And it, it might be significant in that part that they were trying to keep her, maybe talk her out of it. It might take 10 days to talk somebody out of accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows? Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work. So her family tries to talk her out there in 55. And I, I really want to hinge on verse 60. Uh, probably get out of here on time. But uh, verse 60, it says, talks about the spiritual, uh, the, her children. And when I said the thousands of millions. Uh, and they blessed Rebecca in verse 60 and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. So if Rebecca is the, represents the church, which is us, we ought to be having our thousands of millions of children, of spiritual children. We ought to be winning people to Christ. And I, I tell you this from, this is where I got convicted in this passage the most. Um, I guess to my shame, I know I haven't led a thousand people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I do know that I probably have led you know, at least 15 or 20 in my lifetime. That's one reason I like being on the altar and doing the altar is I always have an opportunity to win people to Christ and lead them to the Lord. The pastor does all the preaching, does all the teaching, and then I have an opportunity to win somebody and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to me, that's the best. Uh, that's when I had the best time, that and, and discipling somebody. So my main thing is today is just... Um, is it possible for us to have too many spiritual children? Do you think? Not according to them numbers. I mean, if you're thousands of millions, uh, we got a long ways to go, at least you know, in my calculations and my figures. We've got a lot of work to do. We need to win more people to Christ. And that is our job, to have spiritual children. Uh, in, ver- in verse 60, to have those, it, it is possible to have as many as we can. Um, Billy Graham's probably one of, to me, one of the best examples of somebody that, that maybe, maybe he read this verse, I don't know, I couldn't tell you, and he applied it to his life, and, and he wanted to preach and be, a, a, and be an evangelist, and he won thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Uh, he, did, he did his job. I feel like I've been slack in not doing that and, and not winning enough people to Christ. Um, part of our discipleship, if you'll turn with me over to John the book of John, chapter 15. Yeah, John chapter 15. In uh, verse, verse 8. I'm going to start there. Uh, this is one for me, too, when I first started doing discipleship, really uh, I know, convinced me that I needed to be a, a part of discipleship and doing it. But uh, in verse 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath, hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, <clears throat> even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that, that my joy might remain in you, and that your, your joy might be full. So what's your joy of having spiritual children really um he says this is my commandment that ye love one another as i have loved you and greater love have no man uh, no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends and he says ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever i command you and then he says in verse 15 and 16 he says henceforth i call you not servants for servants knoweth not what his lord do- doeth but i have called you friends for all things 
that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth or go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If you go through your Bible, go clear back to Adam. Adam and Eve was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Noah was told to do the same thing. Abraham was told to do the same thing. And we are told to do the same thing here, to be fruitful and multiply and replenish. We're supposed to put back into the kingdom of God the spiritual things that need to be in the kingdom of God. And that's us. We are the spiritual things. And you're supposed to be winning people to Christ. And, and that's what we are supposed to do. And I can imagine, like I talked about with Rebecca here on her trip back, you know, every woman, I, I don't know hardly any women, that don't have a desire to have kids. Are, are there very many that are like that? <laughs> One over there, she raised her hand. But how, how many, I mean, I know from my wife, talking about when she was a little girl, thinking about getting married and having kids. It was on, on her mind. It was a part of her desire. You know, as a church, we ought to have that same desire to bring forth and to bear fruit, bring some kids forward, bring some uh, spiritual children forward, um, and spend time doing that. Exactly how we do that, I can't tell you the exact way to do it. It's a lot of work. It's labor having children, isn't it, ladies? I mean, it's a lot of work. I know my our first child was born, it was 18 hours, my wife was in the labor. Uh, they were full, so full in the labor delivery, they didn't have a room for her, they stuck her out in the hallway. And so she's out there and she's, they've got her covered up with a blanket, she's hot, she's throwing the blanket off and exposing herself to half the people that walk by and, and uh, I'm covering her back up and she's getting mad at me for covering her up and she grabs my hand, uh, she's not that strong, but she grabbed my hand about squeezed my, my hand off because... She just had that power in her. And she told me, she says, I don't ever want to do this again. She said that in the hall. So um, later on, when the baby is born, Nicole, our oldest daughter, is born and they lay her on her chest and she starts seeing the baby. She turned over to me and said, you know, I might do this again. <laughs> so, you know, the first time I led, and actually my wife is the first person I ever led to the Lord. And, and was able to do that. God, I didn't, I, 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 I feel like that's the, my responsibility. Everyone, one of my kids and all my family just to lead them to the Lord and, and spend time doing it. It's labor. It's a lot of work. It's not easy. Uh, it's probably just about as hard as having a real physical babies. Having spiritual children is not an easy thing. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of time, to go and talk to people and bring them to the salvation, to let them understand what they need to get saved, how they need to get saved. It's work. There was a young man that at, at KCBT where we used to go to church at. I was on the altar, and he came forward, and, and the, the guy that was in charge of it told me to go take him to the back and sit down and talk with me. And uh, Chung Anderson was the guy that was in charge. And Chung sitting there, he sat a few feet away and listened to our conversation. And after probably 15, 20 minutes, the guy gets saved. He accepts the Lord. And I thought, well, that's great, you know. And Chung got me later to come by, come by and talk to me. He says, I don't know what you said, but that guy has come forward six times and hasn't gotten saved. And he finally accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever God used through you to say to that person 
is what needed to be said. So I just want to encourage every one of you, you don't know what you're going to say to bring somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to have that desire to bring that fruit forward and, and to, to show them that, hey, you need the Lord Jesus Christ and what it takes to get there. It is a lot of work. And, you know, I think about the things I, I, I used to manage the ball field at Kansas City Baptist Temple. That was my job. I, uh, they had built a $5.5 million ballpark. It had two large ball fields, a, a little t-ball field and a woman's softball field, and then it had a regular soccer field off to the side and a large pavilion that was as big as this room, if not bigger. And uh, I took care of that. But you know what? Um, they use it as a ministry outreach to win people to Christ. On any given Saturday, I was there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I was there till 10 o'clock at night, and there was at least 2,000 or 2,500 people that came through that ball field on a given Saturday. From Monday through Friday in the evenings, from 5 o'clock until 10, there was probably three or 400 other people that came. To, they had their ball practices and everything. The games were on Saturday, and we would cater to all those people. But I always heard about people getting saved through that, people that ex- received the Christ, because they're given a devotion at each of the, at this, at the, the coaches are, at the games and at the practices for those children. Some of the parents would listen into those devotions and, and pay attention to what's going on, so they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, you know, I don't know if that's what we can do. Part of my job here is I'm in charge of the facilities. That's what I do. I, I take care of the toilets that don't flush and and the mowing of the grass and whatever else needs to be done. And I mow this this field back here. There's almost 20 acres we have all together. We have about, about 10 acres that we can use back here. And I, I look at it all the time. Every time I'm out there working on it, I'm thinking, man, this would be so sweet to have this as a soccer field or a baseball field so that we could invite people from the community to come here and play and to give a devotion. And... I, you know, I heard time and time again when I was at KCBT that parents loved coming up there because, number one, the coaches weren't cussing their kids out. They weren't yelling at their kids. They weren't, you know, belittling their kids. They were encouraging them to learn how to play. They taught them how to play, and they took the time to do it. And it wasn't about winning the game as much as it was about winning souls. And I don't know if we can do that or not. I just, I'm trying to, I guess in my mind, I'm giving you a little bit of our vision that our church has always had is is to try to win people to Christ through whatever means is possible. I mean, these Bibles is, is a part of that. You know, when, I, when they, back, I don't know how many years ago, it's been 20, 30 years ago, they started doing this at KCBT. And the thing that was preached was putting them together, collating them, and my fingerprints got on those Bibles. And I don't know where that Bible went to. I mean, there was many different countries that they went and somebody might receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and I played a part in that. And I just want to encourage you guys, Bob's back here, he needs help. We need to finish up these Bibles. We're going to have Bible conference coming up. It's an opportunity for us to put our hands on something that will affect somebody's soul somewhere along the line. But we don't know. We never will know until we get to the judgment seat of Christ, and we stand there, and these people are holding up. Maybe they're holding up the Bible that they received and they say, hey, this is how I got saved. This is how I come to know the Lord. And we had a part in that. And I just, I guess I'm just trying to get us to stimulate, think about the vision of winning people to Christ. And th- this passage gave me that for myself 
um, my wife and I have made a, a lifestyle choice uh, to some people. We, we, we live in an RV. We sold our house. We sold most everything else, my motorcycle and everything else that I had that I really, uh, that we, we had acquired over the years. And we're, we're snowbirds, what they call snowbirds. We go south. She has some skin problems and, and issues, and we need to be where it's warm in the wintertime. And so we went to Florida this year. My mom lives in Orlando, and my brothers live down there. And we spent uh, uh, December, January, February, March, uh, part of it there and part of it in Arizona. But when we were at the RV park uh, there in, in Ocala, Florida, which uh, if you go to Ocala, there's a guy named Cody Blaze, Code Blaze, I should say his name correctly, He's pastoring a church there. His dad pastors a church up in Pleasant Hill, and I've known Code since he was little. He used to come to the ball fields up at KCBT, and he remembered me from that. But anyway, um, we were at this RV park, and it's uh, mostly older people, I, I guess I should say. I, have, I had an opportunity. Any time I go back, I could have an opportunity to, to do church. They didn't have anybody to do church. Uh, and there's, there's opportunity to most every RV park in this country that if you want to do a, a church service, they'll let you do it. And I, I was really kind of encouraged about it. And by the time we got ready to come back, I was getting ready to organize that. Uh, but it's available if I go back. But anyway, what really, I guess, set me on it was while we were there, a man died. Uh, his wife coordinated all the events for the, the park. He had dementia and things like that, and he, and he passed away. I don't know if he was saved. I really don't. I can't tell anybody that he was. Uh, by the time we had gotten back here, I think two more people passed away that were living there at the RV park. I don't know if they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel guilty about that a little bit that I didn't do something, that didn't spend time sharing the gospel with anybody. Uh, we met quite a few people there and we got to know some people, uh, but there's that opportunity. And Cody, or Code, uh, he was encouraging me to, to do that because he was going to be willing to send some of his people over to do the music. And then when I'm gone throughout the rest of the year, he was going to send some of his guys maybe to come over and, and take the pulpit and continue doing what we've what done. So we, it would open up a door for that church to be able to do a ministry through the snowbirds, if you want to call it that, that, that are living there in Florida. And it's just an awesome opportunity. And a lot of those people don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know where they're going to spend eternity. Uh, they don't have a clue. And, you know, just things like this. This is my conviction. I don't know if I want to pass that on to you guys. But I just ask you to think about what could we do as a church body? How can we reach out to this community and win people to Christ? If, if we're going to do it, it's going to be a sacrifice, trying to prepare the, the field out back. We have somebody that's willing to do that. We need some guys that are willing to be coaches and gals to be coaches and teach kids how to play a game but also be willing to share a devotion with them and maybe through that we'll see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all these opportunities we have to take advantage of and, and it'd be behoove us, I think, to, to me for us to do that. I look at this passage in Genesis here with Rebecca and, and just a kind of finish it out just a little bit I'm almost at the time but she's traveling back with this servant and you and I we're traveling with the servant the Holy Spirit of God he's inside of us if you're saved one of the things that when I first got saved I was always asking questions about the Bible 
Um, I didn't go to church, wasn't raised in church, didn't know anything about the Bible at all when I got saved. My parents, my dad, mom wouldn't darken the door of a church, didn't care. Um, my first recollection, recollection of going to church was when I was probably about five. I went to a VBS thing, and the lady was in my face yelling at me to get that I needed to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I never went back. I just uh, went home crying and, and uh, told my mom and dad, my dad wouldn't let me go back. So I never went. And then throughout my years as a Boy Scout and different things, I heard we did go to church. We heard, I heard the gospel that didn't pay any attention to it. And I did have a friend when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, we're laying in a tent at night, and he lays out the gospel 100%. I remember that just like it was yesterday. And I said, no, this is, I, I'm the one that's done the things that are wrong. I need to answer for what I've done. And that's not the way the Bible works, is it? The Lord Jesus Christ took our sin. He died for all of our, our sins so that we don't have to pay that payment. Because if I'd have died and went to hell or went to, well, what I thought would have gone and stand before the, the great white throne judgment, the Lord Jesus Christ said, hey, you never accepted my son's death, burial, and resurrection. And he'll cast me into the lake of fire. I mean, that, that became a reality for me after I'd gotten saved. If I had died between the time I was 12 and 24 years old when I did get saved, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have gone and split hell wide open. I'd, I wouldn't be here with you guys. I wouldn't have anything to do with it. But I, when I got saved, they put me to drive in the bus to Youth for Christ. And every Saturday night, which was a, a blessing for me because it kept me away from my drinking buddies and it kept me away from all the people that were trying to pull me away, uh, the kids on the bus asked all kinds of questions that I didn't know how to answer. And sometimes they'd ask questions and I'd hand them my Bible and says, well, show me what it says. I don't know. My wife and I, we spent an hour with the pastor at the church that we, where I got saved at. And um, he never once opened up his Bible and showed us the truth. And, I mean, some of the questions to me weren't that big of a deal. Just like Rebecca, she's probably asking this servant, how does he like me to dress? I mean, I came out of the hippie movement out of the 60s and 70s. I had long hair and a beard, and I was asking, you know, kids were telling me, hey, you need to get your hair cut. So I'd hand them my Bible and say, well, show me. Where does it say I need to get my hair cut? And they couldn't find it. They usually ended up in the Old Testament with the, the Nazarite vow that says, don't cut your hair, don't shave your head, don't do any of that stuff. So they were all perplexed too, so didn't know the answer. One day we finally go to a Bible study where the pastor starts opening up the Bible and goes verse by verse talking about different things that, we, that I had questions about. There's 100 people at this Bible study, and somebody's raising their hand, got a question, and he opens the Bible and lays it out. You know, speaking in tongues, he laid that all out, went all through all those things, and just took the time to, to do that for an hour and a half every Monday night, and that was that was exactly what I needed, somebody to share the Word of God with me. And really, I was always wondering, I'm equipped. If you've been through D1 in this church, you're equipped. You're, you've got the ability to go and, and share the gospel with anybody that you come across. Now, you may not be prepared for some, like maybe a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, but it doesn't take much studying to get through and figure them out and understand what they teach and what they believe. And you'll be able to be a witness to them and share the gospel with them and share the truth with them. And uh, it, there's all these possibilities. As you read through the Bible, God will show you things and teach you things uh, that, like Rebecca here, was asking probably her servant as they were going on the trip. 
And he'll show you what the answers are to all things in this world. The Bible guarantees us that and teaches us that. Now, we don't know the day or the hour of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we can't know that. But it does say we can know the times and the seasons. We can know when we're about there. And the way this world's going today, we're real close to there. If not much longer, we we will be there. So I just ask you guys, and I want you to pray about it sincerely. Um, How many spiritual children do you have? Have you won anybody to Christ? You know, do you care to win anybody to Christ? There has to be that heart that says, I want to win somebody to Christ. And that was the reason I, like I said earlier, I got up on the, on being on the altar workers back at KCBT because I wanted some fruit. I wanted to see people get saved. The next best thing to seeing people get saved is, is discipling somebody, taking the time to teach them some of the basic principles that we teach in our D1. Man, you don't know how rewarding that is. When you see young men and young ladies and my wife and I both, we, we were high school counselors, and we saw James Fife when he was in high school, who I thought was a crazy, wild child, because he just was. But God got a hold of his heart. You know, Brandon Briscoe, uh, you guys probably don't know Brandon, he's a pastor down at Midtown. And to see his life totally changed through discipleship and what God has done in his life, it's just amazing. It, it's almost, it's, it is, I'd say it's almost as good as watching your own child grow up, watching them go out into the world and, and they're surviving on their own. I don't have to pay the, my son's rent. I don't have to pay him for food. Uh, he's taking care of himself. He's sufficient. It's the same thing when you see a, a young man or woman that you discipled and they grow to the point where they're able to take the word of God and they're able to teach someone else. That's, there's nothing in this world to compare to it. And I've traveled all around the world. I've been in a lot of countries. I've gone to India and El Salvador and Mexico and the Philippines and just different places with the gospel. My dad was in the military. I've been in every state in the United States. I've been through Canada and, and Alaska and Hawaii and all, all over. I've been around and seen everything. Uh, and it's all beautiful but it doesn't compare to winning somebody to Christ and it doesn't compare to discipling somebody and teaching them the word of God. And, and until you do that, you, you won't understand, I don't think, the truth of that. But it is a lot like raising your own kids. It's a lot of labor. It's a lot of work. And it's a sacrifice of our time. And I just want to put on you guys to think about sacrificing your time to maybe if we had a soccer field, if we had this whatever, maybe a gymnasium on the backside of this. We had a volleyball league, and we were able to have volleyball teams, and we played volleyball, and we'd invite our friends and and whoever else would want to come and listen to a devotion and then play volleyball. Uh, Those are just tools to get to the point of winning somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you to think about those things and, and pray about it for this church. If you go down this hall over here, there's three drawings on the wall. They're kind of our vision. They've been on the wall for 10 years probably. And they're a vision of what we would like to do with this property and how we could win people to Christ. And we, I just ask you guys to pray about it. Go over and look at that drawings if you, if you want. Uh, envision what's there and see what God can do with us. And hopefully, um, 
One of these days, like Rebecca, she lights off the camel and she runs to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, that's coming for us. And we're going we're gonna to go out of here and leave this earth. And hopefully, we are bringing behind us these people that we've won to Christ. Hopefully, they're there and, they're, and we're going with us. Because I want to be, I'd love to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, hey, he'll ask me what I've done for him and be held accountable for what I did with this word. That's the only reason I'm up here today is not for me to be uh, in front of you guys, but because I feel like God's given me something that conviction about what I need to do. My wife and I will probably go back to that RV park and we'll probably set up a church deal on every Sunday. Hopefully, uh, I'll see some people saved. That's what I'd really like. And I'd like to see them saved before they pass off this earth and, and lead them to Christ. And maybe even take time to sit down with discipleship a little bit with them before we moved on. But I don't know. It's just a vision that God's kind of given for me to, to maybe do. Um, we're not necessarily leaving this church by any means. I love it here and I love you guys. And you guys have done, you know, loved on me so much. But I just pray that, that uh, there be fruit. I pray for you guys to have fruit. And that we have much fruit. And much fruit that remains, like it says in the book of John. And the one way to make it remain is, is discipling people, teaching them the Bible. So I've said all I need to say, I think. So if you guys want to bow your heads. Um,